Is that my signal? All right. Good morning. You got your celebration guides. Thank you for being here. Met a couple of you. This is your first time. Thank you for coming. Please fill out the registration. Any of the rest of you that are first or second timers and uh, rip that off, put it in the offering plate when it comes around a little bit later. Um, if you'll look on the inside, the food drive, you can read the details about this. It's coming up. Uh, basketball's about over. Straight up uh, soccer's about to start. You can read the details. This week is man up. And we hope and pray that you guys, listen, last, last week, a month we had over 100 guys there. And a great time of fellowship, food, uh, great Bible study. Uh, just would love to have you guys come and try it out. Come a little bit early if you want to. Play some cornhole. Uh, we got some ringers in there. They, they, they're good. So um, ESPN's thinking of coming and uh, not, not really. Anyway, thank you for being here. Let's stand and welcome somebody around you to church.
like a total mess, Lord. We know that you are able to take what's there if we go to you, Father, and you can put it all back together again. So, Lord, we just love you this morning. We love you with all our hearts and ask that you would bless this offering as we sing and give in honor of you and in worship of your holy name. Jesus, we pray. Amen.
are so thankful for you. Even though we don't deserve anything, you gave, you gave everything. This morning, God, we celebrate you. This is not, God, our performance. This is, this is not our, our show. This is, this is all about Thank you, Father. How good you truly are. God, as our pastor shares the message this morning, may your word get forth. May we understand the principles of your word and apply them to our life so that when we walk out of here, we'll have applicable things for us to learn and to put into place on Monday. Father, may you teach us from these words. Bless it and use it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's the uh, third Sunday, second sermon today from the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm still excited about this whole uh, series from this book. It just, as I keep going further into it, I, I keep saying, man, I want to get to that sermon, get to that sermon. So let me, before I introduce today, let me just say, if you would please, the little homework assignment, it's very little. If you would read 1 Corinthians 5 to, before next Sunday, just 1 Corinthians 5, and then you'll know why I've titled the message, He's Doing What? And you'll, under, you'll understand it. So read that. It'll take you about, it's the very shortest chapter, take you about four or five minutes. Um, and if your Bible has a commentary, kind of read what it says about that. Well, first four chapters, first five chapters of... Um, uh, first four of Corinthians, you remember, had to do with division and there needing to be unity in our churches and, and in our lives. And so Paul, after doing all of that, and as we talked about in that first uh, sermon in two parts, how he was telling them that it wasn't good to be playing favorites toward him or Apollos or Peter or whomever. And then after kind of scolding them for that, then he gets down to the business of who, well, who are we? You know, as leaders, who are we? And that's kind of what I want to talk about today in mainly 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We have a generation of Americans who, for the most part, and with good reason, distrust authority. Distrust it. And there's a lot of people that will say, well, that's because like my generation, you know, we grew up, we inherited a lot of the stuff that, you know, was going on with the war and how people were, you know, making uh, it to be a political issue, the Nixon Watergate thing. Um, we remember, some of you may be old enough to even remember things like a president of our country named Clinton built an entire justification for lying to the American people about his marital infidelity based on saying, well, it all depends on what the definition of is, is. Y'all remember that? We're pretty sure that whatever the institution is now or whatever powerful people tell us, it's going to not be the full truth. And it's going to be spun for their particular interest. I have, and I'm sure, I, I believe you have, we have long since given up of there ever being an objective, unbiased media. 
everything feels like it's fake news on, on some level. If you don't believe me, turn your TV on about 8 o'clock at night, watch about 5 or 10 minutes of Fox, then go watch 5 or 10 minutes of CNN or ESPN, and it's like two different worlds, totally different worlds. And I was thinking, this distrust of authority is in our bloodstream as Americans. I mean, think about it. Our, our country was based on not trusting authority. You know, sorry, England, but without representation, you know, no, no taxation, and uh, we don't need your tea. You know, you can keep your tea over there. Some of you will understand that. Um, and then our forefathers even set up a, a three-tier government system to where one branch can cancel out the other branches. Why? Because we don't trust any of them. Amen? Today, we don't trust any of them. And my point is, for good reasons and bad reasons, we distrust authority. And of course, this attitude can affect our view of leadership in spiritual issues or in a church. And sadly, we see in the church a lot of the same abuses of power that we see on t that we see in the world we see tv pastors stealing money and and causing issues we see priests abusing children we see even evangelical pastors you know getting into trouble over money or morals or whatever it may be so all that are you with me still all that makes Paul's explanation in 1 Corinthians 4 of how we should view leadership in the church so important. And I want you to hear this. A lot of this is my heart to you today about what does it really mean for me to be a leader? And, and what has the Lord done in my life over all these years to bring me to the place that I am? I want you to hear this. Now, in chapter 4, verse 1, here's what Paul says. This is how one should regard us. Now, who is the us? Who's the us? It's the leaders. The, the ones that he had said in three chapters that you were all arguing over. He said, this is how you should regard us. I want you to write this first thing down. Let me clear this up from the very beginning. The Bible is pro-leadership, pro-leadership, pro-authority. It's not against it. The Bible is pro-leadership. But as we know, there's good leadership and there's bad leadership. And Paul in this chapter four is going to give us four characteristics of having good authority in a church. Or in, in some of you guys and gals, some of your places of business. So you say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm not a leader. So how's this going to apply to me? I should check out now. No, these are, are traits that you need to hear and be able to uphold in, in your own understanding of Gulf to Lake Church. Um, folks, as I look back over the last 20 years in particular of life in a church, uh, it just seems to me that even in our evangelical churches that we have elevated um, leaders, pastors in particular, 
who are high on charisma or popularity, but low on character and, and morality. And we've got to avoid that here. Everybody at some point is a leader. Moms and dads, a lot of you young people over here or that have grandkids you're raising, you are a leader. Or some of you have a business. You, you know, you, you're the shift leader at maybe at your hospital or where you work or at the restaurant you work at, which, which really means that all of what Paul is going to say applies to all of us. So I want you to hear this. Now, verse 1 he gives us the two characteristics right off the bat. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And what's the other word? Stewards of the mysteries of God. So number one, a Christian leader is a servant of Christ. Folks, you, you, you might be, and I, I've understood this now for years, you might be a leader of other people, and, and, and you may have, in a sense, some authority over them, but ladies and gentlemen, my fundamental identity is that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That is my primary identity. And as a servant, if you'll write this down, it is never about my will, your will, but his it is always about his will. Now, are you with me? Interestingly here, the, the word that Paul uses for servant is not the word that he uses everywhere else, which is doulos. That's his typical word for servant. Here, he uses the word hyperitos. You say, what? Well, doesn't mean anything to me. It's all Greek to me. It is Greek. Okay? Which literally means that you are an under rower. And here's the picture, and I love this. Paul is saying, look, Jesus is the captain. He's the, how many of you ever watched the rowing thing? You know, and, and you ever heard of the word, the coxswain? Okay, the coxswain is, is the one that leads it all. And everybody else is supposed to be rowing, right? And be with him. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but one of the cool things about this, this is the coxswain, the leader, is the only one facing the direction they're going. Everybody else is backwards, right? And so that, that has a, something for us to understand that, that we are to be following the Lord. And he's the coxswain of this ship called Gulf to Lake Church. Part of our mission statement says, following the Holy Spirit. So what we've tried to do, and we've not done it perfectly, no church does, but what I have tried to do and we've tried to do over the years is to say, God, what do you want from this church? And try our best to find out. So first of all, it means his will, not mine. But secondly, being a servant of Christ means that I or, or whatever leader we see the group of people, you, that we're leading as belonging to Christ. Amen? They're, they're not my, you're not mine. You're Jesus's. You, you agree with that? Say amen. You're the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of who the leader is. And let me just tell you this. Quite, quite frankly, 
I know, and every pastor that's done this very long, you understand no pastor is indispensable. I mean, listen, I, I remember this from years and years ago. If you want to see how long you're going to be missed, put your hand in a bucket of water, full bucket of water, pull it out, see how fast the hole fills up. No one is indispensable. And one of the best biblical examples of this is John the Baptist. At one point in John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus was starting to get more popular, right? It said people were going to, the, to Jesus to get baptized. John had been out there for we don't know how long preaching in the wilderness, and everybody was coming to him, and he was baptizing them by the thousands in the Jordan River. And some of his people came and said, John, doesn't this bother you? I mean, you've done all this groundwork, and now everybody's going to him. What did John the Baptist say? No, he must increase, and I must decrease. Boy, that, that, that is what it's all about. And then, right after that, he compared his role of leadership, the Lord did and John did, of being the best man at a wedding. How many of you men have ever been the best man in a wedding? Raise your hand. Everywhere. All right. You, you, if you've been the best man, you, you played that role. Traditionally, in, even in America, but traditionally started with the Jewish weddings, the role of the best man is to totally support the groom. He's there to make sure everything goes well and that everything works well. And listen, if he is doing his job, you don't even notice he's there. You know, when we stand up here or wherever I'm at, the best man is usually right there beside me and the groom and maybe just a little bit behind. It should be their job, like our job, my job in this church, in a way to be invisible to the Lord Jesus Christ and to on Sunday point you toward him. You know, I've kept very accurate records of my funerals and weddings, and I've, I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals, and I've done a couple of hundred or more of weddings. And I'll never forget as I look back at my list and I see those names of those first three couples that I married. I mean, I was so excited. You know, I was young, new pastor. I'd never done that before. And it was just so exciting that I was going to be, you know, they want, back then they wanted you to dress up like all the, 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 the men in the, in the party. So they rented you a suit like they had. And you put on a nice suit and they put a, a, a what do you call it? A what? Okay, a woman is what? A corsage? Okay, a boutonniere. Yeah, boutonniere. Uh, weird name. But they, they, uh, they gave me a boutonniere, you know, and I'm part of the wedding. And I'm thinking I'm pretty big stuff. I mean, I'm up there with all of them. But folks, after about those three, I got a line there that shows me and means to me, you need to be invisible. They don't even need to know you're here. It's all about the bride and the groom. And men, I'm going to tell you this, in case you don't know this. And I, I listen, when I do a wedding and I tell at the rehearsal, I tell the men there, groom, I'm sorry, but it ain't even about you. It's about that woman that's going to walk down that aisle. That's who it's all about. So here's the question for me and you. If you are assigned a position of leadership, 
do you see that as a service? Is that a fill in the blank? It is, isn't it? You should see that as a service. Some of you are bosses. You're a boss. You should see that as a place to where you lift up Jesus Christ. Wherever you work, that's what it should be. If you're a parent, you parents, you need to see yourself as a tool for the Lord Jesus Christ to let your children grow so that one day they get up and walk out of your life in a sense and follow the Lord on their own. And not because and I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. My position and your position in leadership is primarily to point people where? To the Lord, to Christ. All right, number one. That was number one. We're, we're, we're a servant. Um, number two, Paul ties that in saying that now we are stewards. That's the word I'm looking for. That we are a steward of the mysteries of God. A steward of the mysteries of God. So he says... Let's finish that verse out. This is how one should regard us, the leaders, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, what does that mean? That we're a steward of the mystery of God. What, what is Paul referring to here? Is he, is he talking about a mystery being whether Adam had a belly button or not? Or um, is there an area 51 in the Bible somewhere? No. It is so simple. The mysteries of God is referring to the gospel. How do I know? I read the, all the chapters before that. Folks, listen. These Jews, here's what they'd been doing for 1,500 years. They'd been killing animals and shedding the blood. And that blood was to cover their sin. They would put their hand on the head of that animal at the same time that they killed it. And it was to touch their heart and their feeling to say, look, something's dying so that you can have your sins covered. Somebody is dying for you. And now it's, hey, that lamb has died for you once and for all. And his name is Jesus. And that's what he was trying to, that was the mystery. They didn't know that up till then. Hey, it's, it's revealed now. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. And look here, he uses a, 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 a word here that is oikonomos. And you say, well, what does that mean? It means being a household manager. That's kind of one of my favorite terms for a pastor. Is that when they're being kind of like a, by the way, in those days, families very often had a steward, that word we're looking at. That steward oversaw the affairs of the house. How many of you moms and dads would like to have a steward in your house? They took care of the kids. They took care of the kids. They fixed the meals. They ran kind of the dads. They kind of ran the household to make sure everything was working right. And here's, here's what that means for me. Okay? As a pastor, I don't get to decide what you eat. You may want me to feed you Twinkies and, you know, um, Hot Pockets and Tater Tots every Sunday. But folks, here's the thing about it. That's not my job. Our Father 
decides what we're going to eat. The Father decides that. And I go through that and I try to find what should I be speaking on today from the Word of God. And He knows that we need healthy food. We need spiritual food. So if you don't like what's being served up, don't look at me, look at Daddy. Look at the steward. He's the one telling us that. Servant and steward. And by the way, in these next three verses, Paul is going to show us something else about a leader. And that is this. Are you ready for this one? Every leader is going to face criticism. Every leader is going to face criticism. And believe me, if you're a leader in any place, home, work, wherever it may be, you're going to get it. And there may be lots of it in your lifetime. So let's go to verse 3. Paul says, but with me... It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Why? Verse 4, it is the Lord who judges me. Folks, at the end of the day, you don't answer to me or a church body or a group of uh, deacons or whatever it may be. You at the end of the day, you answer to the Lord. And at the end of the day, that's who I answer to. Not you, but, but to the Lord. And, and, and let me just, you know, be careful here because a lot of times over the years, the criticism that I've gotten, I needed. And I needed it. And, and, and here's, the, here's how I judge that. It came from people that I trusted and that I knew had my best interest in mind. And so the criticism was easily taken and correcting the things that I was doing that I shouldn't have. Here's what Paul said, or here's what the Bible says. I believe it was Solomon, Proverbs 26, 12. The one who is wise in their own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for him. See, I, I need the eyes of the, of the rest of you. Now, truthfully, to be honest, criticism bothers me like it would anyone else. Amen? I mean, I want people to like me. I'll never forget when I was uh, starting to preach and I was in Colorado. And this was back in the days of cassette tapes. Y'all know what that is? Do y'all know what cassette tapes is? No? You do? Okay. Didn't mean to pick on you. But my mother was here. I was in Colorado. And I would send her every month a copy of my sermons on a cassette tape. And I'll never forget, I did a series, and I hadn't been there very long, on the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. And I'll never forget when I talked to her on the phone, she said, and it was so pitiful, Lord, if you preach like that, everybody won't like you. And I thought, oh, dear God, Mama. <laughs> Listen, I, I gave up a long time ago. In fact, here, here's the thing. One of the best things that I ever did was give up trying to manage everybody's opinion. Doesn't work. Number three, we're a steward, we're a servant. Number three, we are a surrogate. We are only a surrogate, verse six. I have applied all these things, what things? All of chapter one, two, three, and up to four now. 
I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Remember what this whole section is about? What was it? What's that first section all about? Divisions and over leaders, fighting over leaders in the church. And he said, look, a lot of this division is simply over the fact that you guys are being overly dependent on an earthly leader. Folks, God uses different people at different times in our lives, amen? But he's the one doing it. So don't watch a pastor on TV or, or listen even on the radio. And I listen to several every week, but I keep them in the right perspective. They're, they're, they're tools that God is using to bless me and to help me. But I'm not going to put them way up here because who knows what could happen. And as I said in the first week and the second week, there will always be, quote, famous people in Christianity that we look at. And I've mentioned them to you. I, I love David Jeremiah. And I love Charles Stanley with the Lord now. Um, you know, I, I love those people. I could name three or four others of those. But we have to get to the point to where even though we love them and love what they're doing, that we, we're able to transfer all of that to the Lord Jesus Christ and thank him and, and, and praise him for what we're going through. Now, real quick, here's what Paul says at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 3, this whole section, verse 1. He, here's what he's telling them. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as, what's the next word? Infants in Christ, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Then he says, verse 4, for when one of you says, now he's back repeating that, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? The word there is actually childish. What is he saying? He's saying, look, dependence on an earthly leader is not a sign of you being spiritually deep. It's a sign of you being spiritually immature when you have to depend on someone. And the analogy here, listen, moms and dads are all over. Listen carefully. This is for you. The analogy here with parenting to me is great. And I want you to hear this, these sobering words. You parents stand in the place of God with your kids. And I want you to hear how serious that is. That is by design. Your kids are supposed to learn to love and trust and obey God because they learn to love and trust and obey their parents. And they will then switch it over to the Lord. And by the way, that's why the fourth or fifth commandment, fourth commandment, fifth one, is to honor your parents, honor your mama and your daddy. The first four of the 10 is all about you and God, vertical. Keep the Sabbath, don't have any other gods, so forth. The last half is all about this way, how you treat each other. And the hinge 
right in the middle is honor your father and your mother. It takes you right into that. So over time, we want our children, are you listening, mom and dads, to wean their faith off of you and put it onto the Lord. When they are little babies and, and little children growing up, elementary school on up, you, they are totally dependent on you. You make the decisions, but you are trying to lead them to gradually, gradually, gradually wean themselves off of you and learn to trust God for themselves. Amen? Transfer that obedience, that dependence off of you and onto God. And then moms and dads, ask some of these others that have gone through it. There comes a time when you have to totally release them to the Lord. Because let me say this in a kind way. They don't belong to you, and they never did. They belong to the Lord. He gave them to you. Now, verse 14, 15, Paul says, talks about him being a father, spiritual father. I'm writing to you as my dear children, for I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then he says, verse 16, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Meaning, back to what he was saying. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We didn't die for you. You were baptized in our name. It's not our spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's in you. And he uses a phrase over and over that you are in Christ. In Christ. Folks, human leaders will come and go. Do we agree on that? Human, get old, die, retire, whatever it may be. And I want you to hear me. If you're hearing me, say amen. amen. All right. This church will disappoint you eventually in some way, maybe a little way. I will disappoint you in some way. And if listen, if I've never disappointed you, even in a little way, it's because you don't know me that well. <laughs> I mean, really. But the people that I'm closest to could probably tell you some of the faults. And, but, but understand this. I want you to write this down. There are two kinds of authority in a church. There is bad authority, and that's where the leader uses their power or their privilege or their position to direct everything toward them. Or there's good authority, and that is where the leader uses their power, their privilege, or their position to direct people to the Lord, knowing that that's where it needs to go. And, boy, I'm, I'm going slow. I've got to move. That, that leads me to the number four one. A Christian leader is a spectacle of suffering. I'm going to try to find a way to condense this for you right now. Verse 9, Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a, what's the word? Spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed, 
buffeted, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul is saying that, listen, Christian leaders, you need to expect to suffer. You, you need to expect it. And I can't believe when I see these guys on TV, you know, that acting like that if you're really in God's will, nothing ever goes wrong. You know, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, wise, and, and everything's going to be perfect. And if it's not, it's because you don't have enough faith. You know, the Corinthians had bought into something that Martin Luther called the theology of glory. And that theology of glory is where you assume that because you're a believer and you're down here on the earth, you're, God's going to always take care of you in every perfect way and you'll never go through any suffering. Folks, it's not the theology of glory, it's the theology of the cross. If my Lord and Savior suffered, why would I think that I could get through this world without suffering? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I'll read something in a minute. And by the way, before we go there, I want you to look at some sarcasm in the Bible. Verse 8, Paul says, Whoa, already you become rich. Without us, you become kings. We, talking apostles, we're fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak. Oh, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. We need to learn, and I say this to everybody in this leader in this church in any way, you are going to be called to suffer. And I want to tell you, I agree with it 100%. A.W. Tozer, great man, pastor of years and years ago, said this. It is doubtful, and fill in the blank, it is doubtful that God can use a man greatly before he's hurt him deeply. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Philippians 3.10. Never forget listening to a guy uh, on TV preaching on Philippians 3.10. And boy, he was pounding that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he was preaching on all that that power meant in his ministry. And I mean, it was over and over and over and over. And I kept thinking, and, and, and finish the verse. Yeah, that you can know the power of his resurrection, but also that you would know and participate in his suffering. There's no power of a resurrection until there's suffering. Jesus had to suffer first. So I'm just saying that the fellowship of his suffering is the only way to the power of the resurrection. Great story. Y'all remember when Peter and John, right after the resurrection, they were going into the temple to pray, and there was a man crippled there at the temple expecting people to give him money, asking for help. And Peter stopped and, and he thought, oh boy, I'm going to get an offering. And he looked at him and he said, silver and none, silver and gold, I have none. But what I have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. 
St. Dominic, this was back in the 12th century, was an early reformer of the church. He was visiting the Pope. And they just accumulated back then and, and maybe even still money galore. They had sculpture. They had art. They, they built the biggest buildings in the known world at that time were uh, churches. And, and they were just so proud of all the money and everything that they had. And St. Dominic was there and the Pope was showing him everything and said, well, Peter, meaning because they think Peter was the first Pope. He was not, but they think Peter was. So he said, you know, Peter can no longer say silver and gold have I none. Look around. And St. Dominic said, yeah. But then again, neither can he say rise up and walk because there was no power. Folks, whatever you're going through, you feel like you've been wronged in this world, suffer well because you're going to suffer. Verse 16, Paul says, I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. And by the way, I, I love how Paul emphasizes in all of his letters, hey, I'm no different than you. I'm just like you. I had to be saved out of sin. I struggle. Remember what he said in Romans? You know how I struggle? I want to do what's right, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do. I mean, Paul said, look, I'm just like you. And I want to tell you something. I, I, I need to move quickly here and finish this up. But I, got, I didn't get caught up in it very much. But back in the 90s, the big thing was, you know, if you're a church and you got 500 or more people coming, then you need to start acting like a CEO. The pastor should be like a CEO. Kind of detach yourself and let everybody else do the stuff that's dealing with people. But I want to tell you something. Are you listening? Gulf to Lake Church is not a company. And we are not a corporation. We are a church of the living God to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And the pastor and all the people working there, we are to be servants. Jesus gave us the picture. Here is the son of God, the creator of the universe. And he gets down on his knees, wraps a towel around him and takes a bucket of water and washes the feet of the disciples. Now, some of you may have been hurt in the past by a pastor or spiritual authority. I just want to say, I'm sorry, but don't take that as how God treats you. The Lord Jesus loves you. Proverbs 18.1, an isolated man will end up seeking his own desire and will rage against all sound judgment. What are you saying that for? Simply this, God wants you under godly leadership so that you can grow, but surround yourself with godly people. Father, we thank you for this particular message. And Lord, I, I know uh, that there have been people who've been hurt. Maybe even here, I hope and pray not, but probably so over the 30 years. But I pray for myself as I get older 
as I mature in ministry that I won't become more and more independent but let more and more dependent upon you and that I'll more and more love the people that you bring for we ask it in Jesus' name let's sing this again just a little bit let's stand Yes, he has. All my life. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I have I will God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy these beautiful days. Thank you for coming.